0: Support for TPR comes from Texas A&M San Antonio, offering an 11-month MBA program featuring paid internships and a study abroad program. Books included. More at TAMUSA.edu slash MBA. Hi, may I speak to James Hopkins, please? Yeah, this is he. Mr. Hopkins, hi. My name is David Martin Davies, and I'm a reporter for Texas Public Radio. And I am working on a podcast about the death of Frank J. Robinson. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering if uh, I could talk to you about that.
1: Sure. Um, Let's go ahead. This happened a long time ago, but I've never stopped being furious about it.
0: Furious. He said he was furious over the death of a man that happened almost 50 years ago. We're going to hear more from James Hopkins in just a bit, but first, let me take you to a crossroads in Palestine, Texas. Here, there is a street sign designating the intersection of two roads. One is Robinson Street, and the other is Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. This wasn't planned. It wasn't a special honor that was created for East Texas voting rights hero, Frank J. Robinson to have his name right next to his hero's name, Martin Luther King Jr. This was an accident. Robinson had bought 10 acres here, and he named it Haven Acres, and he developed the land for homes, which was unusual for a black man in East Texas in the 1960s. And that meant he got to name the streets. One was for his wife Dorothy's family, Reedus, and he named one after his family, Robinson. At that time, the cross street was an unnamed farm-to-market road, and much later, it was anointed Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Frank J. Robinson built his own home here, about a block away from the street sign, and it was a white house on a hill, and it was there in the garage on October 13, 1976, that Frank J. Robinson died from a gunshot blast to the head. I'm David Martin Davies, and this is The Ghost of Frank J. Robinson. Episode 1, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way Back Home from the Funeral.
1: It was a pure case of homicide. The chief of police told my pastor it was a clear case of homicide. Within a week, it had turned to suicide. Picture of a cat licking the inside of his skull when he's
0: there on the garage floor. I would generally say that Something took off his head off. He was shot four times. How you gonna commit suicide? Shoot yourself
1: four times? African American gentleman that was murdered out by the one of the local schools. So uh, he was murdered. Yeah. No one in the black community of Palestine ever thought it was anything other than a clan assassination. That was clan territory out there. they just that was just life out there in that part of the world.
0: For over two years, I've been digging into the mysterious death of Frank J. Robinson. Robinson was an East Texas educator and a civil rights activist. He was killed in his home with a shotgun blast to the head. And according to the Texas State Historical Association, his death was ruled a suicide despite considerable evidence to the contrary— and many claim that it was a political assassination related to his work with the East Texas Project. The Texas State Historical Association takes Texas history seriously. It is an organization that doesn't warp facts to fit a narrative, and when it says his death was ruled a suicide, despite considerable evidence to the contrary, we need to find out more. The death of Frank J. Robinson is a mystery, that must be settled, or at least we need to take a good, hard look at the facts. And I've uncovered new information about the case, and I have some other leads that I'm gonna chase down. Support for TPR comes from Texas a and San Antonio, offering a world-renowned education at one of the lowest tuition rates in the state of Texas. Up to 98% of students receive financial aid, application at becomeajaguar.com. Now let's get back to that phone conversation with James Hopkins. So So you've been furious about this?
1: Yeah, I have. I saw a lot of it come down
0: Hopkins comes from an old, white, established Palestine family. But when he grew up, he moved away and became a history professor at SMU in Dallas. At 80, he's now retired and living in New Mexico. But over the years, he's kept in contact with a few Palestine friends. And one day in 1976, while living in Dallas, he read about Frank J. Robinson's death in the Dallas Morning News.
1: And uh, in the article, it had a quote from the police chief of... um Palestine, that they were going to find uh, uh, the murderers of Frank Robinson. Robinson was extremely well known in Palestine. He had been largely responsible for uh, 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 single districts uh, in Palestine, which enabled African American vote to, to to actually have some kind of authority or power in the town. and uh, And he was a school administrator. His wife was a teacher. And uh, all in all, it's more difficult to think of a more upstanding citizen at a time uh, in which the country was still coming to terms with all that had happened in the 60s to actually uh, open up you know, the doors of privilege and power uh, to people of color. So I had known of Frank Robbins' name. Uh, I didn't know anything about him personally. But uh, in the article in the Dallas Morning News, uh, it said that, that, that a funeral service would be held in Palestine and so I uh, left Dallas and went to went to to Palestine for the for the service. And there were a couple, oh, kind of sort of um, sidebars to this that told me a lot about where the town was. I spent most of my young years in Palestine, not really much as an adult. And uh, I had the name of the church where Robinson was; the ceremony was to be held. And uh, I went into a convenience store, one of the very first in Palestine and asked the person uh, behind the cash register if he could tell me, I think it was the African-American Episcopal Church. And to my embarrassment, I did not know where it was in Palestine. So I asked the guy in the convenience store, and he says, I don't know where it is, but there's a fellow in the corner who might be able to help. And so I went over and asked this African-American guy if he could tell me where the church was. And he did this step-and-fetch-it routine, no-so, no-so, don't know quite where it is.
0: Okay, i got to jump in right now. Uh, Step and Fetch It. This is a term from another generation, and it is a slur. It was the stage name of Lincoln Perry. He was the first black person to earn a million dollars working in the movies, and he was the first to get a screen credit. He does have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. His shtick was to act lazy and slow-witted and servile. He appeared in numerous American films in the 1930s and 40s, And his character today is complex and controversial because it perpetuated a harmful and negative stereotype for African-Americans. But the evaluation of this character has recently been revised by scholars, pointing out that Perry's character was a trickster who frequently outmaneuvered the white characters in the films. Perry's act was a ruse in order to appear harmless to white people. And that act was sometimes adopted in the Jim Crow South, where black Americans didn't have the equal protection of the law and they were vulnerable to the cruelties of a violent racist society. Let's get back now to James Hopkins.
1: And then I was walking toward the exit of the convenience store and he hurried to catch up with me. And he said, I wonder if you can tell me why you wanted to find that church. He said, uh, I told him, because I, there was a funeral service for a man whom I admired very much. And he said, then it's two blocks down, take a right, and you're there. And so the step-at-fetching routine had vanished at that moment. So I went to the church, and I saw a couple of familiar people. Um, the mayor of Palestine had been uh, a friend of my family's when I was growing up. I recognized him immediately. He didn't he didn't know who I was because he didn't know me as an adult. So in the course of the service, I went up to him and asked him what Progress had been made in finding the murders of Frank Robinson. And he said that a Texas Ranger had come to town and was helping with their investigations. And essentially, he conveyed to me that it was looking more and more like a suicide. Well, I, I confess my astonishment. And I said uh, to him, I said, uh, yesterday in the Dallas paper, your chief of police made no bones about it. He talked about murder, and he talked about uh, bringing the culprits to justice. And the mayor of Palestine, in fact, responded that, yes, we're still looking at all the different sides, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, after that, uh, I stopped on the way out of, out of Palestine looking for a friend whom I couldn't find. And then the next day um, in, in Dallas, my former wife gave me a call, and she said, there are police here looking for you. And I said, uh, "And what do they want?" And she said, "They wanted to know why you were in Palestine yesterday." Well, you know, the the long arm of, of uh, you know oppression of political power, police power, and so forth uh, was really pretty explicitly uh, made manifest. And so I asked uh, my former wife to to um, direct the policeman to come to my office at Esplanade, which he did. And to his credit, credit, he was extremely about going through this, this routine. And the routine was, why were you in Palestine yesterday? In retrospect, I wish I would have said, it's really because it's none of your business. And I said, I went to Palestine yesterday to take part in a funeral for a man whom I much admired. And, and the cop just basically backed off and said, you know, sorry to bother you, and so on. So there was nothing of any effect, really.
0: So James Hopkins is greeted by the Dallas police when he gets back home from Palestine, where he went to attend the funeral of an East Texas voting rights activist who died under mysterious and suspicious circumstances. At the time, it was being called a murder. I'm struck that the Dallas police were somehow made aware of Hopkins' activities and that Dallas law enforcement took action and they questioned him about this. Well, how did they know and why did they care? And was this just more of a white power structure using intimidation tactics against anyone that showed any signs of standing up for what's right? At the very least, this was unsettling and strange, and a red flag that there were powerful people watching at Frank J. Robinson's funeral. Next time on The Ghost of Frank J. Robinson, the making of a mystery, who was Frank J. Robinson And why would anyone want to murder him? This is The Ghost of Frank J. Robinson from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. Support for TPR comes from Texas A&M San Antonio. Now offering multiple graduate programs like the 11-month MBA, the fully online Master of Science in Criminology and Criminal Justice, and many more. Learn more at becomeajaguar.com.